0: Hey, hey, podcast pals. I want to tell you about the Ringer's YouTube channel. We stepped up our game in 2017 with weekly videos like Cousin Sal's Best Bet, Slow News Day with the inimitable Kevin Clark, NBA Desktop with Network, No BS with Mike Lombardi, Table Reads, Director's Commentary, Captain Morgan's, Make believe casino, as well as our video podcasts and mini movies like Take Hunter, Ringer 360, and Claytheism. Coming in 2018, 2018, a weekly video mailbag from the pod father himself, Bill Simmons. Mallory out of a hat. That's Mallory Rubin coming out of a hat. I can only imagine and a slew of other new digital shows. You don't want to miss anything. So please, my podcast pals, get yourselves over to theringer.com slash videos, or even better, just subscribe to our Ringer YouTube channel at youtube.com slash theringer. Culinary comrades, welcome back to another edition of House of carbs! the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people. I am your hungry host, Joe House. We have an outstanding episode for you today. It is the day after Christmas. We have this episode up all week long. Chef Richard Blaze of Top Chef fame, of Juniper and Ivy fame, of Crack Shack fame, many, many, many. Other walks of life that Chef Richard Blaze occupies in the food world. He's a culinary hero of ours. We have a whole hour's worth of Q&A and AMA. The only way, though, we could really knock out this last show of the year. I have to kick this introduction off with a very special guest. I have some important questions to ask this young fellow. You Hungry Homies may know him as my son. I'm going to introduce him as James House. House. Welcome to the podcast.
1: <laughs> Alright, let's get
0: in that belly. Yeah, that's right. We're gonna get in that belly with Chef Richard Blaze in a second. But first I have a question for you. Yeah? What was your number one favorite food in 2017? Let's tell the harmony. Bacon was your favorite food in 2017. Yeah, yep. huh? Okay, now let's bacon, let's bacon. quickly, what was your number two favorite food? Pancakes. It would be pancakes. Oh, and is there anything in those pancakes? Chocolate, chocolate chips. Chocolate chips and and the pancakes and the bacon. Now, do the bacon and the chocolate chip pancakes go together? Yes, they go together very well. They go together very well. All right, I like the way that you're leaning. Now, this is the last episode of 2017. As we approach 2018, is there a a food that you think you have your eye on that is going to be potentially a new favorite for you in 2018? What might be your new favorite in 2018? Do you have any thoughts on it? It would probably be... hmm, It would be... steak steak wow i love the way you're thinking there buddy okay now is the time we're going to introduce chef richard blaze thank you for joining me today on the podcast james
1: you're welcome okay
0: you're okay now let's get the let's let the hungry homies the taste buds the culinary comrades get into this conversation with chef richard blaze let's ask them to let's get in that belly (laughs) thanks everybody enjoy this interview All right, my taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades, I am very, very, very pleased to have on today's show a guy that we've been tracking for a little while now. We've been trying to work out the schedule. I've been, uh, you know, hunting and pecking to try and find a place on our hungry homie schedule to have this guy come on. This is uh, a gentleman Perhaps most recognizable, everybody knows him, from his time at Top Chef, and he's been on virtually every form of Top Chef. This gentleman won Top Chef Season 8, a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America, trained at some of the world's most esteemed restaurants, including French Laundry, Danielle Chez Panisse, and El Bully, an author of cookbooks, a television personality, Mr. Richard Blaze. Welcome! To House of Carbs. That is an introduction that I would, I'm just going
1: to, I wish we still had phone answering machines because I'd like that to just sort of be like my introduction for everything. If we can work that out, that was, that's pretty (laughs) insane. I'm pumped
0: up. We can copy that thing in. You can use it on your uh, cell phone, maybe. I think we're going to have to
1: do, I mean, that was like, I'm ready to like wrestle right now. That's how, that's how uh, (laughs) excited I am.
0: My dude. So uh, as I mentioned at the at the top, I've been trying to have you on, uh, and I'm really happy. So th- this is going to run the day after Christmas. So let me just say Merry Christmas and and Happy Hanukkah. We, we're non-denominational here at House of Carbs. Uh, thank you, thank you for the holiday
1: well wishes, and that means that it's actually Boxing Day
0: as well. Indeed. So happy Boxing Day.
1: Yeah. H- happy Boxing Day, which I you know I I, I you know I, I like. I like English football, soccer to most of probably your audience. Uh so that's a big that's a big sports day on the calendar is Boxing Day when it comes to like uh English football.
0: Okay, awesome. So l- lots and lots and lots of reasons to celebrate. I appreciate you uh being willing to do. So today's show is going to be something we haven't done before. We're going to we a- we went out to the hungry homies and asked them to send us in questions for you and I to tackle. A lot of them holiday themed, which will be great. We'll talk about, uh, you know, the proper way to celebrate uh, a holiday dinner. Um, And I I know that lots of folks are interested in hearing what you're up to uh, right now in terms of the projects that you have going. So before we get to the questions, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the many uh, pots that you have your hands in. You're stirring a lot of pots right now, Chef Blaze. it, it seems
1: like it. So, you know, every once in a while you, you touch a handle and you get burned. So I'm just trying to make sure that that doesn't happen as I'm, you know, juggling around uh, all of the projects that we have. But, I mean, mainly it's just, you know, focusing on everything that we've been doing in the last couple of years, opening up restaurants, uh, you know, trying to author and, you know, create, you know, uh, more books and television content. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's really just uh, about living in this amazing life that we've been blessed with. Uh, and getting a chance to sort of do what we do, which is cook and talk about food every each and every day. But yeah, there's there's a lot of things going on, House for sure. One of them so w- is this moment. Yeah. This moment right here. This is a big moment for me. Like I'm a massive fan, and I love what you're doing on the podcast because I'm actually kind of jealous because the, your podcast is so good, and I, I have a podcast as well. And you guys, you guys just crush it. The, the production is just top top tier here.
0: Well, Chef, I'm, I'm honored, I'm, I'm humbled, and as always, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm a little hungry. It's, it's, it's kind of nighttime <laughs> here. But uh, I have to tell you, you have your own podcast that I've enjoyed very much my own self. I take a lot of inspiration, and you know, there's a lot of very good uh, uh, thought put into starving for attention. Let's talk about that real quick. Um, what gave you the inspiration to, to get that going, and how have you found your own podcast experience?
1: I mean, listen, I'm going to throw that right back at you. I mean, you know, one of the inspirations for wanting to do a podcast was just spending a lot of time listening to Ewan Simmons and, you know, Malcolm Gladwell and all of the other, you know, great podcasts that I've been obsessed with over the last couple of years uh, and realizing that, you know, at the time, before we got Starving for Attention started, before you have House of Carbs, that there wasn't a lot of, you know, podcasts that were in the fun dynamic food space. There are a lot of podcasts that just sort of talk about recipes uh, that are sort of slow uh, and and just sort of a different sort of tempo. Um, But, you know, what you brought to the table here is just this incredible pace. Uh, And I think that that's what we wanted to do as well with our podcast.
0: Well, I, I'll, I'm going to continue to accept these great compliments you're tossing my way and, and, and redirect them right back at you. I appreciate it. Um, I saw you. So the, the premiere uh, show of Top Chef, this season's Top Chef in Denver, Colorado. At the end of the show, they do run a clip of, you know, what to expect through the season. Of course, we saw you uh, out there in Denver at, at some moment. Talk a little bit about uh, what we can expect in this upcoming season uh, of Top Chef in Denver and, and your own involvement with that. Sure. I mean, I you know, there's, there's,
1: there's not much I can say except that just in general, as far as my role in food television, not just even in Top Chef, is... You know, not to use another sports analogy, I apologize for that. But I'm sort of like the left-handed middle reliever that everyone just sort of throws out there once or twice a, a year, and I get traded each uh, and every year to a different show. And uh, but I'm come gonna, gonna play like till I'm, I'm gonna play till I'm like you know 60, uh, just yeah. going out there to get one or two out. So so you'll see me on Top Chef, and you'll see me on you know pop up on Food Network here and there. And you know, like I'm just happy to be on the show whenever I get the opportunity. So you'll see me on Top Chef, Colorado. Always just amazing to be a part of that franchise. It meant so much to me personally in my career. Uh, and you know, I'm a fan of the show, which which also really helps. It's just kind of amazing to be out there, you know, in the kitchen when you know you're also someone that likes to watch it from the living room.
0: Yeah, I have to say, I, I was reminded, you know, it's been a little while since um, the last you know last season ended. And every year, I mean, each each season, the uh, caliber of chef is just going through the roof. I mean, this this was I, – I I can't pick an early leader having watched just the premiere here. I don't have a guy, a horse that I'm going to put any of my hard-earned capital on. The horse for the course, I don't know yet because uh, the, the, the caliber of chef is just incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think each and every – I mean, listen, it's a deep, deep bunch. And you're right, each and every year it seems like the – the talent pool gets a little bit more impressive. Uh, but I add on our podcast, we you know, talked about the early episodes here, and uh, I would like to see someone run the stats on just how many people get to the finals that are you know, in the top early on in that first episode. I, I bet you it's, it, it's a pretty high percentage that, that early on the, the chefs that do good in the first or second round usually end up you know, doing well you know, throughout the tournament. I bet you it's a, a, a high percentage that those chefs advance to the end.
0: Yeah, that's, that, it's funny that you mentioned that. That has been recognized. There is some uh, direct correlation. Whoever wins the first challenge, there's some number of, of times that that chef has gone on to win the whole competition. It's a, it's a known statistic. The, the hungry people exactly. have, have definitely clued in on this thing.
1: That's true. You know what I really want to do? And this is sort of odd for me to just throw out there. I want to be someone who like, introduces like, the idea of Saber Metrics. So like not only just food TV but like the restaurant world. I just think there's so much data out there that we we you know we don't we we don't utilize. And I, I want to what is it? Is it Bill? Is it is it is it Bill James? I want to be the Bill James of the restaurants uh, food TV world. I want to sort of develop some numbers here uh, to help. Well, us I see think what's that makes on.
0: sense. It it certainly fits. I think the public's eye of, of of you, like your your persona in the in the public eye, as a thoughtful person, as a person going outside the box and trying to look at at how to solve things, you know, in a, in a way um, that that's that's innovative. But I don't have any idea what the hell you're talking about when it comes to safer metrics <laughs> as it might apply to to cooking. What what do you mean, kind of specifically?
1: Well, I mean, like in the restaurants. Like, I mean, I want to know just as a restaurateur, like. You know, not only how long does it take a cook to, you know, get a steak out to the dining room, but maybe, you know, the inside stats on, you know, how they perform during prep. And I just feel like there's a lot of room for our industry to sort of collect numbers. I also really love that you called me thoughtful when you could have just said that I'm a nerd, uh, which is okay now that we know each other. You can just call me a nerd. I'm o- I'm okay with that.
0: Well, that, that we have that. That shows up in the questions here. I mean, it, it's kind of... Uh... <laughs> You know it makes one or two appearances the 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 hungry people aren't afraid they know that you own that title it it's 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 understood and embraced <laughs> um let let's go ahead and jump into some of these, these questions. Now, before we get going, I have to take you to a task a little bit. You know, we put out on the Instagram we we an elicit a solicitation. We said, yo, taste buds, hit us with some questions. I go on there today to see what it looks like. I wanna I wanna, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. I wanna pick out fifteen to eighteen to twenty good ones. And I see in there that you're you're talking to the hungry people. You're already answering questions it, it, left and right. You, you know, listen, you just, I I, I, I in full defense, until about the
1: third question that I answered, did I realize that I was probably throwing a wrench into the production? And then I got <laughs> stuck. I got stuck thinking that, like, well, if I only answer two or three questions, everyone else is going to be offended. I don't want to offend the hungry people. I want to feed the hungry people out. Of course, so I you... apologize for that. But I'm, also, nah. I'm I'm trying to work I'm trying to work on being a little bit more engaging on social so I got caught up there I got too excited
0: I love it I was so happy about it to be honest with you and and believe me we're gonna nice. run through those same questions again I'm gonna make you answer those again because you know the Instagram is kind of one thing
1: sure I also don't wa- I want to like have enough appearances on this podcast like I want to be Chang style on this podcast oh, you're like in. I'm very competitive okay I love good it. You're I just want to say like don't- just, just reach out because, like, Chang gets a lot of love. I love Chang, but, like, you know, I'm I'm here too. That's all I'm saying.
0: I love it. That's it. You're in. It's official. The, uh, uh, a uh, frequent contributor. You can put that. You can add that to your resume. Frequent contributor to uh, House of Carbs.
1: It's going to be my Twitter. It's going to be on my Twitter right after this episode <laughs> ends.
0: <laughs> so, look, my entry point to your, um, you know, restaurant uh, offerings was none other than the Crack Shack in San Diego, California. That was uh, yes. just this October. And I um, I tweeted at you. I was like, hey, chef, I'm here. Uh, I'm enjoying some of your unbelievable fried chicken. Um, and I have to tell you, Juliette uh, Littman, my partner in crime on House of Carbs, we recorded uh, the, the podcast that's up right now. She was down in San Diego this past weekend, and she and I talked about the crack shack and how you got it right down there um, for about oh. I don't know eight to ten minutes. So uh, with that kind of uh, overly solicitous um, lead-in, I I have to say the uh, the fried chicken is not what I expected in San Diego, California. It was it was genuinely proper Southern fried chicken, uh, which I guess is not that surprising considering your your background. But let's tell the hungry people a little bit about your. Inspiration for Crack Shack?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, listen, uh, Crack Shack is, you know, sort of one of our growing restaurants. We have three locations open right now uh, San Diego, North County, San Diego, uh, Orange County, and soon a couple happening in Los Angeles. Uh, and, and really, the, 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 the whole concept was based off of, you know, a couple of my partners really loved chicken. I really love eggs, like most chefs do. Uh, we, no one really has a chicken and egg restaurant. And we just decided really to make use of what was literally a shack next to our more fine dining restaurant, Juniper and Ivy. Uh, and we decided to make some fried chicken and sandwiches and salads. And truly, with no sort of intensive growth for the brand, you know, hundreds of people showed up the first day. We ran out of chicken, it was kind of a nightmare. Um, but, you know, uh, people sort of started enjoying it. And then we realized that we had something going there. And it makes sense. I mean, people love. Uh, delicious fried chicken and uh, you know, knock on wood so far it's been pretty successful and we're, we're having a lot of fun growing the, growing the brand.
0: Yeah. So, so first question, and I have to uh, confess, this was a little bit of a plant. This is from my partner on the golf podcast. I don't know if you're a golf fan at all, but my, my partner on the golf right. podcast, Jeff Shackelford uh, is eagerly awaiting. He lives in, in, in LA in the Santa Monica area. And he is eagerly awaiting the arrival of uh, one of the LA franchises. He wants to know whether the menu in the, at the LA establishments will be identical to San Diego or, or will there be some tweaks?
1: Yeah, I would think at, you know at this point of growth, which is really interesting, you know we have three. Uh, Century City in Los Angeles will be four, Pasadena will be five. Um, and I think we're still at the moment where each restaurant we introduce one or two more items or maybe, even a different category of the menu. Uh, As an example, we're doing milkshakes in Orange County. We haven't done that at one of our other restaurants. Uh, And whether it's a new item or a category, I think early on we're going to keep throwing something new out. So the answer is, yes, there will be new things on the menu because we also want each restaurant to sort of have its own sense of, of community wherever it lives.
0: I, I love it. That's outstanding. Okay, so this, this next question is kind of holiday-focused. It's really a a, a a proper question for the Christmas holiday. This has to do with the seven fishes. Gia from New York wants to know your thoughts on, on the seven fishes. Are you, are you familiar with the seven fishes uh, uh, Christmas Eve meal?
1: Yes, I, I, I would say that I'm familiar with it. I've never experienced one Um but uh, my thoughts are pretty much that, that I'd like to experience one. So if this is an invitation to a Feast of the Seven Fishes, uh, yeah, I'd oh. like to show up. That's, that's, that's my yeah. answer.
0: Well, I'm going to invite myself along for that. I bet Gia from New York makes a hell of it. She wanted to know about cooked or raw. I think my answer would be both. I mean, I, you know, let's take it every, every which way it comes. Oh, I think I think you have to do a little bit of
1: everything, right? Like it's a celebration of seafood, so I think there's got to be. You know, a whole roasted fish. There's got to be some sort of raw crudo or ceviche. I think you want to, again, celebrate everything that's seafood, fry things, roast things, all of it.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Robert from San Diego, your hometown, wants to know what made you choose San Diego as the home for for your sort of restaurant base? Sure. I mean, I wish there was a
1: more romantic answer, but. Um, you know, we, my wife and I, my family, we lived in Atlanta for a while. We were looking to sort of get out to the West coast and I met my business partner, Mike Rosen, and he convinced we were actually going to move to Northern California. Uh, and he convinced me to come down to Southern California and, and, and start up a restaurant. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't take too much convincing. It's beautiful in Southern California, as you know. Uh, and right. we came down here and just were blown away by the response and how 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 warm the hospitality has been you know from our guests so uh you're happy to happy to be uh, a hometown uh San Diegan for sure
0: yeah and it seems like San Diego um, represented a kind of opportunity because it it kind of you know sits in 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 the shadow the big shadow that L.A. casts. It, it has not um, been known as much of a food town up to kind of you know the 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 last decade or so. You, if I thought about food in San Diego, I think about fish tacos, but it's got a lot more diversity now. Um, h- how have you found that opportunity um, in terms of what you're trying to develop there in San Diego?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, I've, I always have really loved being an underdog, you know, whether I'm competing on a television show or opening up a restaurant in a part of town or a city that, you know, people question. Uh, and I think that's sort of a chip on the shoulder that we have, you know, for our restaurants in San Diego that, you know, hey, listen, it's only, uh, you know, an hour, an hour and a half away from Los Angeles. It's, it's it's, it's you know, on the same state as San Francisco. Um, you know, why can't San Diego be? Uh, as revered as those cities, knowing that the product's the same, the labor force is pretty much the same. Um, so we kind of, you know, took that as sort of a rallying cry, you know, to 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 do uh, a a Los Angeles or San Francisco worthy restaurant uh, in San Diego. I, I think it's it's worked out uh, pretty pretty well for us uh, so far. I
0: I I have to agree, just based on my limited experience at at the the Crack Shack. All right, we're going to go ahead and, and crack the the seal on, on a nerd question. Uh, this is from Baby I'm Reels. Baby I'm Reels wants to know, what must have game-changing nerd cooking tools like sous vide, like the air fryer, like the small electric smoker, or a tool that most home cooks aren't aware of? What's out there that kind of fits that category that you're using right now?
1: Uh, well, you know, I mean, the, the first answer is not going to be probably as impressive impressive as uh, the, 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 the questioner wants, but it's the pressure cooker. The pressure oh. cooker is, is so underutilized. I think we all have these sort of memories. I have memories of my mother using a, pr- a pressure cooker and exploding like, you know, marinara sauce on the ceiling, you know, when I was a baby and it being a, a terrifying tool. Uh, you see it happen in competition all the time. Someone grabs a pressure cooker and they've never used one, Uh, but it expedites time. It increases flavor. The pressure cooker is underutilized. Uh, The the, the, the new sort of answer is really there's going to be so many appliances that are going to happen right now that are smart appliances. So there is an induction tabletop, um, you know, burner right now. It's not even a burner because it's it's, uh, induction but that you can control with your phone. And so all of these things that you're seeing in with other appliances, you know, the smart car, uh, you know, the smart washer and dryer, whatever that is, you're going to see that play out with uh, smart pots and pans, smart blenders, smart ovens. Uh, and that's going to be a game changer because uh, even with just like the voice to everything, the Alexa in the kitchen, you know, the company that really cracks the code of, you know, having a voice activated sous chef in the kitchen, uh, is going to be something to really follow. Uh, smart appliances. We could do a whole episode so that, on this stuff.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of fascinating. Have you already done a whole episode on this? I, I haven't, but I mean, I'm I'm in a, a big sort of tech
1: phase, trying to figure out what's going to be the next, you know, one or two big things that are going to impact uh, the food world, and and one of them for sure is going to be this voice activated, you know, smart appliance, smart kitchen. Uh, sort of thing, and I, I mean, even in in restaurants, but also in in the home. I think you're going to see a lot a lot of big things happen in the next
0: couple of years there. So it strikes me, just having heard you kind of describe it, I, the question that jumps to mind: Do do you think it will impact the amount of kind of creativity uh, in the kitchen? Uh, I, I think it. I think it will because you know, I
1: mean, you know, even just if you're thinking about voice activation. For the home cook, and instead of scrolling through a recipe or going over to uh, a touchpad or a screen and getting you know greasy sauce on that, it'll, it's going to enable the home cook and, and even possibly the you know the restaurant cook to move around in a different way. I mean, we're really close to having that you know R two D two sort of appliance next to us that that can help us be more efficient. But I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see to see how it happens. I think it will increase creativity, just because it's a new technology, right? So, you know, plug in the turntables and, you know, you know, create hip hop in the kitchen. I mean, I think we're going to, I think that's going to happen.
0: Okay. That's, so I'm glad to hear I didn't want to offer up a leading question. My concern um just listening was maybe it would it would uh diminish creativity because if you're talking to to uh tools that have the capacity for getting temperature exactly right or for, you know, um gauging through uh their own internal algorithm whether or not something is, you know, cooked to a certain level or 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 whatever um, that it diminishes, uh, what, what a chef's capable of doing, but it it sounds like you think it's going to open up some doors. So I'm I'm happy to hear it.
1: Yeah. But I also listen, I hear what you're saying too. There is a joy that comes from sort of improv. It's one of the reasons that I really love, you know, food television, especially competition, because, you know, cooking in a restaurant isn't really improv. Um, but cooking on a television show is absolute improv. And sometimes because you're, you know, you're faced with having no technology or no recipes or limited time that does unleash some more uh, creativity. So I I can, I can see it both ways.
0: Okay. Uh, We're going to do a couple questions relating to um, food and the way that, that, you know, the hungry homies out here uh, tackle stuff. So this question's from Rushy Grant 19. Rushy wants to know the two most common dishes from your perspective that the the hungry people get wrong all of the time the most poorly executed popular dishes. Now I will say I don't want to steer the answer one way or the other, but we had a pretty vigorous debate on this this general topic with David Chang and Bill Simmons. Simmons made advanced the claim that he can make at his home macaroni and cheese that's that's just as good as anything that anybody any chef might make. Um, Chang was not. Uh, listening to to any of that, he 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 uh, told Simmons he was flat out wrong. But I, I so macaroni and cheese is kind of you know uh, we'll take that one off the table. But but how about a couple dishes that are that the the hungry people tend to get wrong more often than not? Wow,
1: I'm gonna I, you know I I don't know about specific dishes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit wider in my answer. Uh, you know I, I think people overcook chicken all of the time, right? Regardless of what the dish is. I think, you know, everyone at home is cooking the boneless, skinless chicken breast. Um, and I'm and, and I'm gonna and that's one of the hardest things to cook. You know, we're talking about technology. There's only a couple of degrees of perfection when you're cooking something like a boneless, skinless chicken breast. So I think most people are, you know, executing, you know, chicken wrong and overcooking chicken. Uh, and at the same time, you know, keeping it in the sort of world of technique, I think a lot of people are undercooking uh, red meat. You know, I think there's this sort of bravado to a rare or a mid-rare steak when I feel like the money is really in the medium. You know, the medium range, the pink throughout, and a lot of a lot of you know, uh, you know, new cooks I think are undercooking red meat. So I hope that's not a cop-out answer. House, you want? Do you need no, a specific like
0: dish? I okay. no, no, no I, I I think both of those things are very common. I always uh, overcook chicken. I just don't have any confidence. you know I we've been spooked. the hungry the hungry people have been spooked by you know the, the scare tactics of of I don't know who in the food food media business uh, scared us, but i I don't ever want to see any kind of pink in chicken because of, you know it, sure. it, I'm so certain that I'm going to get sick.
1: Well, that makes sense. I mean, again, you you got to be safe, so there is that sort of uh, part of it that makes a lot of sense. But that's where the technology can help you get to the perfect point. And then once yes. you you know cooked the chicken bread sous now you know what the temperature is. Then the next time you just cook one in a pan, you know you have a better understanding of what it looks like, what it what it what it feels like, etc.
0: In the, in that same vein, we're good, this is a, a a question coming from Bean O. And I think this is one that you might have addressed on the Instagram, but I don't mind repeating it because a lot of the taste buds have not uh, seen the Instagram. What are some foods that most people buy at the store that you yourself, chef, consistently make from scratch because the homemade version is a million times better than what you buy at the store?
1: Wow. Yeah. So I remember this question. I think I had a, a surprising answer, which was tortillas. Um, which is one of those things that, listen, there's no problem buying tortillas. Go ahead and keep buying tortillas. But I think that's one of those, like, simple, quick, uh, bready sort of recipes that if you make homemade tortillas, you're sure to impress people, and you'll probably be blown away by how simple it can be and how much more delicious it is. Uh, and I think I followed it up with, the, with the, which to me is the maybe even more important is what dishes should you never make at home and, and only buy? And I, I think I, I I answered a couple condiments: ketchup and ranch dressing. They're just they're just better at the storehouse. Don't try to make homemade ketchup or ranch dressing; it doesn't come out as good.
0: Now you do make your own ketchup, though that, that I think is available at the crack Shack, don't you?
1: It, it it is, but I mean there 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 may be you know there there may be you know this, this, these are professional chefs and ah, it may be a combination. It. It may may be a combination of a couple recipes coming together. So, um, you know, or even if you're going to grab ketchup from the store and mix something else into it, you know, grab ketchup and mix some pomegranate juice into it. And all of a sudden, you know, that's one way to be really creative at home. But start Uh with the base of some store-bought great ketchup.
0: Okay. Okay. I feel you. I like where you're going with that. Yeah. I like it a little yeah. spicy, so or li- and a little smoky. So I maybe I there's something I can do in that direction.
1: Well, that's why I always loved one of my one of my recipes um, from my first book. Try this at home. Was where I combined ran- uh, ranch dressing with sriracha to make sriracha, which is still one of my favorite food <laughs> puns ever.
0: Did you now? Uh, I, I, think I you would like. have loved it if was sriracha one of the the dipping sauces for the chicken. Uh, it, it was. It should be though. We we've had we've played
1: with it here or there. The condiment game changes a lot of crack shack. But I, I feel like yeah. you don't like ranch dressing. Am I sensing that from you?
0: Oh no, I love ranch dressing. In fact, on a recent episode okay. of uh, House of Carbs, we talked on on food news about somebody that introduced a keg. You can purchase a keg of ranch dressing. And I thought, I I, I applauded the, the purveyor of this. Uh, I think it was Hidden Valley. You can buy a keg. I said, you just buy the keg, you put it in your fridge, and you're all set for the rest of the year. Oh, well, you know, the thing is, though, you probably
1: aren't set for the rest of the year. And this is one <laughs> metric that I'm sure of because of Crack Shack. We actually have the kegs of all of the sauces. One of them, of course, is a ranch dressing. And we had to hire an employee just to change those kegs regularly mid-shift. So. I don't know. A, a keg of ranch dressing is not going
0: to last a full year at my house, probably. Wow. How about it? Well, I, I, I'm i kind of eager to find out now. I might have to go, go get one of these suckers. <laughs> Let's do it. My hungry homies, I hope you are enjoying this outstanding conversation with Chef Richard Blaze. A quick break to talk about our good pals at Sleep Number. As you know, my friends, making New Year's resolutions is one thing. Sticking to them is another. Whether it's resolving to get to the gym more or eating less sweets, I recommend against that. There is one thing that can help, and that is make sure you sleep well. Most Americans get less than the recommended seven to eight hours of sleep a night. If that is you, science proves that getting more sleep will make it easier to hold fast to your goals. The Sleep Number Bed lets you choose your ideal comfort and support on each side which makes it the perfect bed for couples their newest beds are so smart they actually sense your every move and automatically adjust so you stay sleeping comfortably throughout the night you know that is crucially important when you have a 7 year old and two dogs who love to climb in the bed in the middle of the night they even have an adjustment for snoring that might apply to me does your bed do that Don't miss the best bed for couples and seven year olds and their dogs at the lowest prices of the seasons. Come in now and save 400 to 700 bucks on the most popular sleep number mattresses. You'll only find sleep number at sleepnumber.com or any of the 550 sleep number stores nationwide. Get in there and test one out. See what we're talking about. Find your ideal sleep number and be sure to tell them that House of Carbs sent you. All right, let's get a little, I wanna get a little personal here, some of your own personal tastes. So uh, Magic Luke7 wants to know, your top three favorite types of cheese. Wow. I feel like that's such an
1: advanced question. Um, but top three favorite cheeses, uh, I think, listen, the raclette, uh, which I think was mentioned, is a, a classic cheese. You know, the the basically the fondue, right? What everyone thinks of as fondue, which started with raclette, uh, which is this Swiss uh, cheese that you sort of dip potatoes and, and, and vegetables in. Raclette is amazing. Um, wow. I mean, how do you not say that the the royal, you know, Parmigiano-Reggiano is not one of the best cheeses uh, in the world? And I'm going to change it up because I'm starting to sound like a snob. I like just sliced yellow American cheese. I'm I'm not Good, afraid like to it. admit it. It's got to yeah. Yeah, it melts. It's it's ooey gooey and delicious, and like, I, I, and it needs to be on a burger. To be quite honest with you, I'm um, I'm strong supporter of just sliced American cheese on
0: hamburgers. Yes, you and me both. I, and I'll say, in your defense, Parmig- Parmigiano Reggiano. That's just a, that's just Italian cheese. I mean, that's just cheese on pasta. That's not that's not too highfalutin. I wouldn't say.
1: I guess it's not, but there's a lot of imposters, imposters uh, yeah. out there, if you will. Uh but, like a good wheel of parmesan. <laughs> that it's was so terrible.
0: Sweet, so sweet. Yes, it was, that was a terrible pun. <laughs> a terrible pun. I just <laughs> want to let you know. all right. Uh, that's okay. I, I like we're at that level. We're at that level. <laughs> we we have a, a good one from Clay Foo. Uh, what is the best fried chicken that you have had that's not, you know, uh, at available at the crack shack? when you in all your try travels around this great country of ours or maybe even worldwide? best fried chicken, and what was the one factor that made it so special to you?
1: Wow, I mean, this isn't probably going to come as a surprise, but I, I, I do love the classic sort of Nashville hot chicken, uh, whether it's Prince's or Hattie B's or, you know, whatever little roadside, uh, you know, shack stand is there. Uh, there's, there's, I, the hot chicken is amazing to me because it just had a, a, the level of heat that's like right before – you know, um, you can't stand it anymore. And I just, I just, I love everything about it. Um, so I would say Nashville and a bunch of different places in Nashville.
0: So we have a writer, um, at the ringer, Danny Chow, um, who is, is kind of our, uh, our world traveler, our explorer who goes around to various places and tries different cuisines and then writes about them. He wrote a story about the Nashville hot chicken in 2016. And he relayed, I had him on the on one of the early um, iterations of, yeah, episode one. Indeed, Danny Chow was on episode one of House of Carbs, and he shared with the hungry people the the tale of. So he has a very strong uh, uh, capacity for heat. Um, he's raised in a in a Vietnamese uh, household, Pan Asian household, and so is subjected to heat. Uh, and spicy food early in his life and so he he could handle the heat in the moment but he described for the hungry people an experience that he had many hours later uh, in terms of of having eaten you know the highest level of heat in the Nashville hot chicken and then having like an out of body experience is is that consistent with your experience of the hot chicken
1: i mean my my experience with like when it get you know when the when it's really really ha- hot definitely something's coming out of your body perhaps. Um, but that, that would be my, 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 follow-up to that. I'll just leave it at, I'll leave it at that. I don't know if it's as yeah, romantic as Danny's yeah. story.
0: <laughs> well, he, he was talking about, you know, uh, uh, a, a nearly, um, delusional kind of experience, like losing his mind kind of thing.
1: Oh, well that's has crazy, but I do think that, that he has that sort of tendency, you know, once the sweat dies down a little bit, um, there is that sort of, uh, you know, euphoria that does that does exist. So I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that episode, uh, and and then sort of cross reference my experience. But that that sounds pretty insane.
0: Yeah, he he, it, the the whole thing it made me want. Obviously, I'm very excited to try the Nashville hot chicken. I've never been to Nashville, and so I've never tried the chicken down there. I'm not gonna try it at any of the heat levels that that Danny tackled.
1: Yeah, that 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 that's intense.
0: So uh, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about. Uh, social media and the um, kind of w- way that that has impacted your thinking uh, of of how you might deliver your food to all the the taste buds out there. This question comes from Ryan Tartaglia, uh, and he wants to know how his Instagram changed the way that you think about a new dish. and And he he references in here how Juniper and Ivy uh, featured a, a, a slow mo version of a yodel being uh, consumed table side, smashed table side. And then it's a, he says for him, that's a top five food porn story.
1: Wow. Um, Well, thank you. First of all. Um, Yeah. I mean, listen, I I think it makes it from the kitchen's perspective, it makes it a little bit more fun. Um, You know, I don't think we're ever creating something specifically for Instagram or a shot. Um, But I do, I do think that it, it gives a, an extra layer of excitement for the team to, like, create a dish and then know that, you know, in the magic hour of lighting between, you know, 4 and 6 p.m., that they're going to get outside, you know, and, and take a couple photos of a dish or do a video of something that's happening in the kitchen. I think it, it, it makes it a little bit more live and organic. Um, so, I mean, that, that's my, my stance on, on what, it, what it does, I think, internally for the process. Um, you know, as far as like the marketing of it and all of that, I mean, just it's it's a competition, like you do sort of have to compete with um you know, not just saying, hey, we have a restaurant and it's open, but here, here's some of the things that we're doing. here's some of the these are the people that work here. Uh, so it's it's a game changer on each and every level. i I love it because it it gives us, um you know, as chefs and restaurants the opportunity to also tag other people in the restaurant, tag the chefs who are actually you know, maybe came up with that dish or are cooking it all night long or, you know, otherwise might not get any sort of, uh, you know, mention because, you know, they do, they work so hard. So for me, I love that part of it that I get to sort of introduce my team through Instagram and social media uh, with pictures and videos.
0: Yeah, I don't, I hope you don't mind me uh name dropping a little bit, but I had Gail Simmons on uh, maybe a month ago and we talked about you know the incredible coincidence of top chef kind of arriving on the scene at the same moment as the rise of social media and we tried to kind of break down the uh relationship between um, the, the great interest and, and the, the broad interest uh, in, in food, in this incredible food moment that we're all living in right now, and the role that um, social media has played in creating kind of this, this universal uh, universally available um, uh, opportunity and awareness of what other folks are doing with food and creating opportunities for, for very diverse cuisines. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the the moment that Filipino food seems to be having. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I mean, you know, yes to you know the fact that you know social media is just like I said, it's, it's a game changer on every level from the guest perspective, or you know the chefs and restaurants that are trying to promote themselves and, and, and market. Uh, it, I think it makes the food better too because you know you also know as a chef we, we used to only have to worry about critics or bloggers, and now we have to worry about You know, everyone who has a device in their pocket, which, by the way, is everyone, you know, taking a photo or putting a video up online. So I think actually, you know, just because there's checks and balances, it makes the food better. Um, And yeah, it does. Like, I mean, I'm obsessed with salpe. I don't know about you. Um, I'm sure you are. Like, you know, (laughs) I would not have known, you know, of salpe or his restaurant or um, lots of, you know, different dishes and world's cuisines if it wasn't for, you know, taking a deep dive on Instagram every once in a while and and following a hashtag or two. So I think it makes us all smarter um, and it gives us the opportunity to shine a little bit brighter. And it also sort of intensifies, you know, the focus that has to be added, you know, making delicious, you know, food.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: I also uh, love I also love Gail Simmons. She's one of my favorite people. So, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm glad she was on. I'm, I bet that was a lot of fun. I got to go listen to that episode right after this.
0: Yeah, she's she's incredible obviously. Uh and I invited myself. I don't know when our paths are going to cross, but she promised to make me her brisket fried rice um from from her new uh uh cookbook. So, I'm Ooh. looking forward to 2018 to find a time and, and moment when Gail and I will be together so I can try some of that fried rice.
1: Why don't you, why don't you guys come out to uh, Aspen, the food and wine classic this year in uh, in June? You guys should come out oh, and Aspen. camp and, and do, do, do a bunch of episodes and eat some great food.
0: This is, this is a great idea. I'm going to uh, recommend that to the ringer and I'm going to tell them that I need <laughs> probably like a hundred thousand dollar budget to make it all work out properly.
1: <laughs> there we go.
0: Right. Um Okay we we are running this the day after christmas so so the the hungry people may might be a little disappointed when we go through this next question um that they they're going to have a missed opportunity here this this question comes from uh i'm going to get this wrong Brentonas Brenton Jazz I don't know how to say it Brenton jas. he he wants to know he or she wants to know uh your all-time christmas meal and i'll 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 refine it what are you cooking uh, for for your family on Christmas.
1: Sure. So I mean, the, the the two answers is is you know it's usually a couple of meals you know throughout you know those 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 days, Christmas Eve, Christmas, whatever. Um, you know, the two answers are some sort of like a roast goose or a roast duck, which I know is really oh. intimidating to to the average cook. But I mean, it's when else are you going to eat like a roast goose? Like I feel like that's like the the one time of year where you're going to go for it. Um, and if it's not going to be a duck or goose, that's when you throw the big old, you know, prime rib, bone-in prime rib in the oven. Uh, and you just, you know, let it cook while you're entertaining and just slice some big old slices of prime rib, which I'm a big fan of, just old-school traditional prime rib, horseradish sauce, au jus. Uh, and, and Christmas time is is when, you know, or the holidays is when we definitely throw that throw that down. I also love loctis. So, like you know, throughout oh. Hanukkah, we'll will just cook latkes pretty much every day, just because I love potato pancakes uh, and they're delicious.
0: Of, of course, I mean that they're they're appropriate all times of the year. I knew that that uh, you and I are are cut of the same cloth. I'm so happy to hear the prime rib. The prime rib is such a crucial part of my holiday experience every year, and I look forward to it. It is the one you know sort of time of year when so. so I feel like to properly cook prime rib as a uh you know as a as a regular person as a non uh you know trained chef that I need to set aside probably you know 48 hours because I I I want to salt it I want to let it sit in the in the fridge with the salt for a little while I want to bring it out I want to let it get to room temperature the day that I'm going to cook it and then I want to pay attention to the temperature um, pretty diligently and not get interrupted. Uh, all I want to do is drink so, a great, big red wine and pay attention to this thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear prime rib on, on your menu. Do you think that, that, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm overdoing it in terms of, of how much attention I think I need to pay to it?
1: No, no, I want to, I want to come over house. Like that's, first of all, <laughs> that's like such a romantic L. Um, like that's what I wanted. Like that, that's that. There's something about that, right? Just sort of like hanging out with your prime rib for 48 hours to make sure that it's just ultimately delicious. Uh, no, I, I think you're doing it right. I do I, have a. I've been cooking on the big green egg, which not to give them a shout out for any other reason except that I've been cooking on, you know, uh, cooking prime rib and big large cuts of meat outside lately, which has also been a yeah, game changer.
0: I, that, that's. That, I would love to try it. I'm intimidated, and the main reason I'm intimidated is because I'm worried about getting the temperature right.
1: Right, they hold temperature really, really well. Though you can do just a quick little uh, Google search on, on on how they work, and like it, it's pretty pretty amazing. And then you're outside with that big glass of wine, uh, and yeah. there's, 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 there's a whole another level of uh, amazingness that happens uh, from that. Yeah. But, hey, I have a confession. I have a confession to make about prime rib. I hope I don't lose your respect with this. I like the end cut.
0: Oh, dude! No, no, you're not losing any respect at all with me. I, I'm the only one that eats the end cut. I eat, I eat both yeah. ends. That's what I love.
1: Like I, the end cut to me. The older I get, for some reason, the more I like my 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 red meat cooked. Um, and I just love the char and the Maillard reaction and all those uh, nerdy science chef things about what happens when when meat browns. And that, that's my that's my favorite slice right there, right off the end
0: no there's there's no comparison between the two, but I'm also the only one I think in my family that likes the turkey leg on thanksgiving i i i I deliberately call one of the turkey legs before you know the turkey's served i i everybody knows I'm gonna have one of them
1: i that's just because you're smart, so like you know maybe we'll have a consultation with the rest of the family i I think the end of the prime rib and turkey legs and thighs that are a little bit more tender uh that those are good calls always
0: I appreciate it all right uh Let's see here. So I like this one from Trucker Falcon. Trucker says, uh, after I return half my Christmas presents, I'm going to have a little bit of loot. What new kitchen equipment should I pick up? Oh,
1: wow. You know, I remember, I I remember this question. I don't remember how I, how I answered it. I thought I had a really good answer though. Um, (laughs) I remember this. Oh my, you're going to have to help me out house here. Um, I, I
0: don't remember no, either. It was an immersion, immersion blender. I I don't remember.
1: No. Oh, my gosh. I mean, maybe, I actually, you know what? I think it was. You know what? Here's the answer. You return all of your presents, and you have some loot. That's when you go get one of these outdoor grills, a la Big Green Egg. Sounds like nice. a commercial right now, but I'm not affiliated with them. But that's sort of, I think, a game changer for, for for a household, for especially if you got a little bit of loot from returning some really good presents. Go out there and get. One of those domes, sort of outside outside grills.
0: All right, this this is going to be. In fact, I think now my wife has been hounding me. What do you want? You're so hard to buy for. We're going to put the Green Egg on my list, and I'm going to cook. Uh, we might get it a little early, and then I'm going to try this prime rib uh, inside the Green Green Egg, and I'm going to I'm going to put some take some pictures and put it up, and maybe you and I both will get sponsored by by the Big Green Egg. I think we're working
1: on that. As I've For said, all that the love we've just
0: given you know, them, I mean, come on. I think
1: it's, yeah, you'll probably get the endorsement over me, but just don't forget me when the check comes. <laughs> that's, that's all
0: I'm saying. Oh, oh dude, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll send you a slice of the. I'll send you an end cut of the prime rib. How about that?
1: That'll do. That'll do.
0: Uh, I like this question uh, from Christian GW. And I bet you have more than one um, eligible candidates for this. Kristen asks, who's the best chef not to win Top Chef?
1: Wow. You know, I mean, one, that's, you know, I I mean, it's tough for me to answer that, like, you know, personally, because, you know, I haven't cooked with every chef that didn't win Top Chef. Right, right. Um, the, 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 The easy answer is there is so much talent that's on that show each and every year that it's hard to even realize that, you know, two years later, some of those contestants that were middle of the pack in the game end up winning James Beard Awards. They end up, you know, you know getting, you know, three, four-star restaurants. They do big things. Um, so I think that's when, when we talk about the deep talent pool on Top Chef, if you go back and, and there, there are chefs that have won James Beard Awards that, you know, got knocked out of Top Chef early. So there's so much talent. For me personally, though, because I don't want to dodge the question. Uh, There was, there's a chef, Angelo Sosa, who cooked on uh, the All-Star season with me. Uh, And he was just an absolute, you know, you know, talent. I mean, he was, he was, his flavor profiles were just amazing. He worked with John George, you know, he was, he was just good in the kitchen. He was fast and, and he was someone that I definitely had my eye on and, 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 and felt pretty good about my chances once, once he got, you know, kicked out, I felt a little bit better about my, 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 my run
0: there. And, and where's he cooking now?
1: Wow, you know, we've got to we find Angelo Sosa. I mean, I think he's actually in yeah, Southern those... California. I know that he's spends some time in San Diego, but I think he consults at a number of different restaurants. But I know he's wearing tight pants somewhere. That, that's what I do now. We'll,
0: <laughs> well, that's another, okay, we'll track down Angelo after this pot. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up for it. Uh, nice. Another question that I'll characterize. It's, it's not a full on nerd question. It's kind of a half nerd question. Uh, Adam, the Cody wants to know stainless steel cast iron or other.
1: It's a good question. Um, you know, the answer is that it depends on what you're cooking, you know? So like they yeah. all come into play and, you know, I, I have pretty specific, you know, my kitchen, I, I don't like to cook seafood on cast iron, but I love cooking red meat on cast iron. Um, you know, stainless is, uh, to me, really great for, you know, vegetables or seafood. Um, so it I really kind of just depends on, on what you're cooking. And if you have uh, the ability to, you should have all of those uh, types of uh, pots and pans and surfaces in your arsenal.
0: I love it. I love it. I, I, and I agree with it. And I have my own self as the amateur that I am you know, that variety. And it depends on what, what's, what we're cooking chef. This is the second to last question. This is from grant. Um, let's, let's use his, his, his Twitter handle at drunk blowhard, because that kind of fits at drunk blowhard wants to know when cooking the first dinner for a new romantic prospect. And let's say we're on date number three or four. So impressing is a must. (laughs) What should one make? And let's say this, this this drunk blowhard, he has a general consumer kitchen. He can get most ingredients, average skill level, so he doesn't want to try any liquid nitrogen or anything. But what, what should be on the menu for this very important date number three or four?
1: Uh, listen, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a native New Yorker, but I think that if you're always, like, if you just start with Italian food in general, that's always a pretty, you know, romantic start to, you know, achieving your your goals on a third or fourth date and sort of really winning this person over. Uh, and, you know, for me, my personal experience for my wife on like day three or four, I cooked chicken marsala. It was something oh. that's easy to cook, some chicken in a pan, some mushrooms, a little wine, maybe. That's what I like. Uh, yeah, you're skilled enough to get a little flambe action, so it really looks yeah. like you know what you're doing in the kitchen. Uh, maybe That's you set off the fire alarm. That's okay, uh, because then you have a story for the rest of your uh, your life with this person. Um, so I'm going to say something in the Italian lexicon. Uh, something simple, uh, chicken veal marsala. Uh, you know, so- something with pasta, but definitely Italian food. That's the way I'm going.
0: I love it—the chicken marsala. I'm dying right now. I'm starving. I I I usually record these podcasts without having eaten, and right now it's it's, I'm on the East Coast. It's in the evening. I'm dying. The chicken marsala—that's that's that's me giving it the, the 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 kiss. All right. Speaking of being hungry, I have to. We have to wrap this one up. I have one last question for you. This is from Piazza Mike. Piazza Mike wants to know, Chef, rank the top three chefs with the best hair, not including yourself?
1: Ooh. Wow. First of all, this is an amazing question. This this might be, it's the last one, so no, no surprise, but it might be the best question anyone's ever asked me. Um, <laughs> with the best hair besides me, well, I mean, best is, I guess, kind of relative. We have to rank them sure. in order, right, House?
0: Yeah, I think um, so.
1: Okay, I mean, one, I'm going to throw up uh, at number three, Is I'm gonna throw uh, Eric Repair at number three, just because he's a silver fox. Um, Yes, he's a good-looking guy. He's got this wavy salt and pepper hair. Uh, I know the accent doesn't come into play here. We're just talking about hair, but Eric. I know, but the hair and the
0: accent go together. I'm right there with you.
1: It does. It it goes. It goes together. So we're gonna throw him there at number three. Uh, Wow The, the the second best hairstyle in the game right now I'm trying to think that uh, this is going to be probably a controversial one because he recently cut his hair, but I'm going to have to, can I, can I go old school Wiley Dufresne on this one?
0: Of course. I'm go old of course.
1: School, old school Wiley Dufresne, which is like just long shoulder length hair, almost maybe a ponytail, very like country rock. Um, it's, a, it's a surprising pick. Because there's not much of a hairstyle to it. It's almost a lack of hairstyle. But it's still very iconic. Um, And then number one is probably not going to surprise too many people. Actually, it might be controversial. But I'm going to have to say, my brother from another mother. I think it's Guy Fieri House. I I think that that, that hairstyle is too, too iconic. Too it's much iconic. Work that goes into it. Uh you can't you can't match that. Like you can't you can't you can't guard that. That's just that's just impossible. That's that's a pretty now, good hairstyle right
0: there. It's a worldwide dominator, it's true. Now, I'm surprised. I thought your boy Marcel was going to make an appearance here, but maybe maybe he's not uh oh. wh- Are we you dissing Marcel? It's,
1: again, I have if you if you're going old school Marcel like uh Hugh Jackman Wolverine I think yeah. I think he's a comp- I think he's a competitor. Then I we would have to bracket that and have him go up against Wiley's ponytail, and um, he might take it. You're right. I I actually I might reset. I might rescind. That. I might take that back. I think that that this is good. Uh, it might if, be if we. It
0: yeah, well, look, we, I, we love brackets on House of Carbs. You know, we, we, tried to take, we tried to come up with the best Thanksgiving side a few weeks ago. We went through Halloween mm. candies. If we're able to pull off this visit together in Aspen, we're going to prepare the best hair in food bracket. We'll, put, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just break it all on down until we come up with a number one. Yeah, can
1: you just give me one of those screens where I can, like, move things around with my finger, like, you know, ESPN style or CNN style? I really want to yeah, do that it, with it, the hair, the hair bracket.
0: I promise it won't work just like those don't work ever. So yeah, of <laughs> course, of course we could do that for you. Nice. Oh my guy, chef, uh, Richard blaze. Thank you so much. I think uh we've 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 covered a lot of territory for the hungry homies here. I think the taste buds should be very happy on this uh holiday week uh getting a little taste of what we're all about. You have to come on again. I didn't ask you deliberately your last meal on earth because in the first place, you've kind of identified that on your own website. It's spaghetti with your family, spaghetti and meatballs with your family. That's wonderful. But you and I, we're going to explore that territory a little bit more. But you are now officially a recurring guest on House of Carbs. So thank you.
1: Dreams do come true, House, obviously. Thank you so much for having me on, brother.
0: (laughs) Always. I can't wait till the next one. All right, my hungry homies, my taste buds, my culinary comrades, that does it for our last show of the year. We shall see you in the new year. 2018 is going to bring many, many, many delicious things, including House of Carb Swag. We can't wait to get that out there and let all you hungry homies rep the show. Look, it's the week in between Christmas and New Year's. You're listening to this. We have a couple other shows in December. If you haven't had a chance to give them a listen... Download my Philly food tour, the fat Philly food tour with Chris Ryan. We also had an outstanding episode with Andrew Knowlton of Bon Appetit, where we went through the 2017 best new restaurants in America. Give those a listen. If you hadn't had a chance, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with chef Richard blaze, my podcast pals, my hungry homies. We shall see you in 2018. Until then, let's stay hungry out there.